0: I want you to imagine with me that there are two streams in front of you. Uh, The first stream to your left is a a water stream or uh, a body of water that is crystal clear and it it looks beautiful. But as you look closer, you see that the the current is very violent. The current is uh, very, very high. And you see rocks there and you realize that if you were to jump into that stream, that you would be bashed against those rocks and it would be painful. And then to your right, you see another stream, but this stream is murky. It's very muddy. It's very dirty. Um, you've heard that there's some quicksand in there. And if you jump in that stream, not only uh, will you be murky and dirty, but you possibly can just sink and, and not come back up. Now, if you're like me and you have those two choices, uh, you're going to steer away from both but because you see that both streams, both bodies of water is unhealthy and can harm you. Well, in many ways, this is the picture that Paul is putting before us in the book of Galatians. On the one hand, we have a stream, a, a version of Christianity. That's not the true version that Christ and the apostles have laid out. And this is a version that says on the outside, everything is to look good. And that's really all that matters. And this is what Paul has been talking about to the church of Galatia as they have been saying that salvation as troublemakers or false teachers have been telling them that salvation is not by grace through faith, that salvation is by works of the law. Salvation comes through circumcision. Salvation comes through uh, keeping of the Jewish or the Mosaic law. And this represents that first stream. It's clean on the outside. What matters is the outside. You obeying these laws and you're right with God. But what Paul is going to do, because all throughout his letter, he's been rebuking that with some very strong language. And so here in chapter five, he wants to make sure that they don't go to the opposite extreme. The extreme I just named we'll call legalism. The opposite extreme we'll call uh, the extreme of license. And this extreme is an extreme that says, since Christ has saved me by grace through faith, I am free to live however I want to do. Since Christ died for my sins, then if I sin, it's not a big deal because I've been forgiven. And so what's happening here is two things. Paul has been writing to church and he's saying, listen, don't lose your freedom. Galatians chapter five, verse one, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, don't go back to the law. But he's not just concerned about them losing their freedom. He's also concerned about them abusing their freedom. He wants to make sure that the church doesn't go to the other extreme of saying, I now have the license to live however I want. So that brings us to today's passage where Paul is going to give another way, the way in which God has ordained. And this is the way of the Spirit. And so we see in verse 16 that Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. We see this in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We see this in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul's main point to the church of Galatians is saying, how do you keep from losing your freedom? and abusing your freedom. He says, the way that you keep from doing both is by living in tune, in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit paves a third way, a bridge, a way to true freedom, to true liberty, to abundant life. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of what we as the Christians call the Trinity, the Trinity is this mysterious, beautiful doctrine that says that there is one God. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people have uh, named the Holy Spirit in our circle as the shy member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not the shy member of the Trinity. We are the ones who just neglect the teaching. Amen. The Holy Spirit role in a believer's life is twofold. One, the Holy Spirit's job is to conform us into the image of Jesus. It's to help us to grow up in our faith to look more like Jesus. Two, it is to bring glory to Jesus. It is to magnify Jesus in our hearts and and throughout the nations. So Paul here is wanting to teach the church of Galatia what it means to live by the Spirit. Now here's the big deal and here's something that's important because as we read this passage... We see that Paul puts um, two uh, ways before us, the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. And even as Christians, as we read this, there's a a tendency and a temptation for us to get discouraged because we look at this first list, the list of the flesh. And then we look at the second list of, of virtues and we can say, is it really possible to live in the spirit? Is it really possible to be in tune with God in such a way that he produces fruit like these attributes and Paul's answer is absolutely yes, it's possible. And not only is it possible, it's God's business, it's God's desire, it's God's preoccupation. It's what he has ordained in you to be birthed, cultivated, nourished, and produced. And I love this, verse 16 Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Paul says, Not only is it possible, but it's a promise that if you walk by the Spirit, this will happen. You'll no longer be a slave to the flesh. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh, I want to understand a couple of things. One, in his most technical turn, when Paul is talking about the flesh, he is pointing us back to a way of living that is in conjunction with the world, that is in conjunction with a fallen world. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, the apostle Paul says this, who, speaking of Christ, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. This present evil age, in essence, is the world. It is the kingdom, the old age of the flesh. But Paul is also speaking of our kernel nature as we are all born as human beings under the curse of Adam, under the fall. And as human beings, we are born alienated from God. And this kernel nature that we have is a way of living outside of God's will. And for all of our lives, if we're Christians, up until the point that we repented to trust Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the regeneration and rebirth of the Holy Spirit, there has been ways of relating, ways of relating because of the way we were raised within our family dynamics, ways of relating because we have mortal bodies and within our fallen and broken bodies, there are proclivities and tendencies to sin Ways of relating because we're self-centered, we're selfish. Romans chapter 3, there are none who are righteous. No, not one. Every single one of us before we came to Christ were contributors to this evil age. And what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that a new era has come. Christ has invaded this present evil age. He has invaded this world with his kingdom. And we are now a part of a new creation that has been birthed through the Holy Spirit. But here it is. As Christians, we still live in a fallen world. We still have an adversary whose name is Satan, which means the splitter, the one who seeks to cause confusion, to kill, to steal and destroy. And we still live in imperfect mortal bodies. So what Paul is saying is the comfort is as Christians is is that we don't have to be slaves to this present evil age because Christ has redeemed us and put us in a new kingdom. But there's still a war that's going on. It's a civil war that's within us because the flesh, the old man, the old nature, though it moved over, he did not move out. And we still have this struggle even within us. Look at verse 17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. He says there's two uh, uh, natures, two kingdoms at work. It's the kingdom of the world and it's the kingdom of God. It's still a war even within us with our flesh and with the spirit. And he says there is a constant struggle. So if you're here tonight as a Christian and you're discouraged because you said being a Christian is so hard, it just seems like everything is against me. Part of that is true. It is a struggle. It is hard. Jesus did not promise to, to deliver us from that struggle. But what he promised is that he would send his comforter, his helper, this paraclete named the Holy Spirit. And because we are a part of his kingdom, we are no longer a a slave to our flesh, Romans 8, 1 through 14. We are no longer a slave to the things of this world, but we have been set free through the Spirit. And now Paul is telling the church at Galatia, now you have to learn to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to, be, to walk by the Spirit. And he says, you'll know if you are and if you're not. And what he does in verse 18 through verse 21, is he gives us some acts of the flesh. In other words, if we're not living and pressing and leaning into the Holy Spirit, he's showing us what comes out of us. And what comes out of us can be categorized in four different categories. The first category is sexual sins. And that's the first three things that's listed in verse 19, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. The second is sins against God. These are uh, religious sins that are void of the one and true living God. This is idolatry and sorcery. The third category is relational sins. It's strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, He's saying these are the attributes of the flesh. These are the attributes of the world. These are the attributes of one who is not living by faith in the son of God and trusting in their father and in the spirit. And this last category is sins of excess. We find ourselves overdoing things that were given to us as a gift. He uses stuff like like drunkenness or 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 these other means of just excessively abusing things. And so I want to just show us real quick a, a principle to help us to put off the old man, to reject the things of this world and to live in the spirit. And this is the principle that we need to remember. The problem, Tim Keller says this, I'll quote him directly. The main problem is not our desires for bad things, but our desires, over-desires for good things. See, in most of these things we see, uh, let's take sexual sins, for example. I won't be able to go into all of these, but let's take sexual sins, for example. Sex is a gift from God. Did you know that? Like God, some of y'all are like, yes. God created sex. Right, It is a gift that God gave to Adam and Eve and to men and women in a covenant relationship before him. It is a way for us to experience relational security, intimacy, and pleasure. It is a good thing. But what Satan wants to do is to take that good thing, to distort it, and to make it the ultimate thing, to make it an over-desire for us, where we yearn for it and desire to get it outside of the ways in which God has blessed. And what ends up happening when we do that is further twisting and brokenness. Instead of true freedom and life coming, when we seek to use this gift in ways that God did not attend it, though we may have momentary happiness, or momentary pleasure, it ultimately leads to our destruction. We get out of control and it brings more brokenness. A good thing, a good desire can become an over desire. When it becomes an over desire, it becomes bondage. And many of us, what happens in all of us, and I'll stay with this example. Many times what happens is in the church, we don't talk about sex has been created by God and uh, used uh, to meant to be in the covenant of, of uh, marriage and as a gift. And that's and something that God has, has given humanity. But oftentimes what we do is we, we minimize it. We even think that somehow it's bad or shameful. We have experiences probably at, at a young age. And because there's this taboo and a church around it, um, we uh, feel shamed with these experiences. We fall into guilt and condemnation. And so it becomes a secret. It becomes a way that we hide and try to protect ourselves. And Satan just has a field day. And so what happens even as Christians, even when we repent and place our faith and trust in Christ rather than deal with these desires that we have and allow God to reorder those desires through uh, relationships of discipleship, we uh, keep it a secret, we hide it, we go deeper into it, it gets darker, we feel defeated, and, and we become addicted. And what Paul is giving us is a gift. He's saying, listen, those of you who have been born again, you are no longer a slave to sin. If you are not trusting in God and living by faith in the means and ways that God is calling you to live, you'll know because this over-desire will have its foothold on you. But he doesn't just deal with sexual sins. He deals with relational sins and all these different types. So the second thing that Paul does is he shows us a different way. And this way is what we call the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit. And here in the fruit of the Spirit, well, first, before I go there, let me, let me do this. Uh, look at verse 21. Verse 21. Notice what Paul does. He gives a strong warning to the church of Galatia. He says, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is Paul doing? He's saying, number one, those who believe that salvation is by works throughout the letter. He tells them that they are of Satan, that they are fools, that they will be alienated from Christ and not receive uh, the blessings of Abraham, uh, true salvation. But now he's letting them know, but there's also another extreme that you can go, not just legalism, it's also license. And if you live your life saying that you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you are habitually intentionally walking this way and you look back over your life and this is what you bore. This is what habitually and intentionally came out. And there was not a war. There was not a putting to death. There was not progressive sanctification. He's saying it may be because you have not been born into this kingdom age. You may still be a part of this old age maybe because you haven't been renewed from the inside out. And he's given a stark warning to take your salvation seriously, to walk in faith and obedience, but most importantly, to learn to trust the Lord. Because many times when we run to that old man, that carnal nature, it's out of fear. It's because we're so used before Christ to responding a certain way under pressure. It's because we're so trained by our flesh that we run to appease it. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we are not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe our flesh anything. And what discipleship is, what the Christian life is, what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's rewiring us. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord your God, which is your reasonable, your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed. How, Paul? How am I to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind, literally by rethinking the way you think. And here's the good news. God is with you to help you to do this. And we see this through the fruit of the spirit. He gives us nine elements here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, and the law is not against such things. Now, here's what I want to say about these things. All of these things, number one, are divine attributes that Paul is pointing us to. Like love, the word here is uh, agape or agape, right? It's this unconditional divine love, which is love for love's sake, right? This joy is this, it's a divine joy. It's a joy that goes past circumstances. This peace is a divine peace. It's, it's a peace that is able to have peace in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship. So sometimes we read these and we get these like gooey feelings on the inside, like, yay, the fruit of the spirit. And uh, we don't see that what Paul is pointing us here to is not like this, like, oh, like this sweet, like, oh, gentleness. Like, yes, that's talking soft and like rubbing kittens and like, no, no, this is a this is a divine stuff that Paul is talking about. This is some stuff when you he's saying when you peel back your heart underneath it is not self-centeredness. When you peel back the layers of your heart, underneath it is is not this desire um, uh, for you to control things. Underneath it is is genuine Christ-likeness. This fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit producing in you the attributes of God. Which brings us to three quick, important points. One, that the Holy Spirit... Produces it. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Holy Spirit. You don't get the fruit of the Spirit by simply white knuckling it, writing down one of these attributes and saying, I'm going to be more kind. And this is the 10 ways that I'm going to do it. You can try, but I guarantee you in your own strength, apart from the Holy Spirit, you're going to last like two minutes. And by the way, kindness is not kindness unless it's under pressure. Like you're like, well, I'm kind until somebody crosses me. It's like, then you're not kind. (laughs) Like (laughs) Anybody's kind until somebody crosses them, right? Kindness is being kind, even when someone mistreats you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is supernatural. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps as you think about this list and these attributes, you feel overwhelmed. Like, God, I, like I want these things, but it just seems impossible. And I want to tell you what the angel told Mary. When the angel came to Mary in Luke chapter one and Elizabeth told Mary that she was pregnant, she said with 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 man, with God, all things are possible. And as we set our affections on Christ, the spirit can produce these attributes, too. I want you to see that this is harvest language and by harvest language. I want you to see that this is is Agarian right? This is agricultural. This is agriculture. uh, 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 Fruit trees take time to produce fruit. Because some of us in here are super, super impatient with ourselves. And the reason we keep running back to acts of the flesh is because we want to microwave these fruits. Have you tried to microwave an orange before? Or an apple? Don't do it. It's weird. (laughs) Maybe under some circumstances, like peach with a dessert and some ice cream. But anyway, like it's not meant it doesn't grow. Right. It's slow. It's a process. It's a process. And your growth in Christ is a process. And you should be able to look back over the years and say, I may not be what I want to be. But by God's grace, I'm not what I used to be. But I'm going to press on through the spirit. Listen, God is not in heaven looking at you if you are in Christ with disgust. Because sometimes we think that and that condemnation leads us back to acting out in the flesh. Because we think that God is looking at us saying, man, I wish he would just get it together. Why did I save this boy? I'm just gonna rename Jamal to can't get right. I'm not even calling him Jamal in heaven. I'm gonna say, that's my son, can't get right. And we see God as looking at us as just saying, like, get your stuff together. Now, God does look at us and wants, yearns, James chapter 5, yearns to be intimate with us, yearns for us to mature and to grow, yearns jealously over us when we run to our idols, but he is not disgusted with us. All of his disgust was placed on Jesus on the cross when Jesus died for our past, present, and future sins. God is a faithful God who welcomes us home and it's his Love and His grace that transforms us to make us look more like Jesus. He's patient. God revealed Himself to to Moses. Bible says Moses hid in a rock. God came and showed his glory to Moses. The Bible says just the backside of his back. And he spoke to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow in anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is but wait a minute. God had wrath in the Old Testament. God does say that we will reap what we sow. Yes, God is a faithful father and a faithful father does discipline his children, but it's not out of disgust. It's out of a desire to see fruit producing you. John chapter 15, God is the husbandry. He is the vine dresser. He is the one who prunes and shapes and and takes off that which is dead and, and causes some pain in our life and allows some pain in our life, but it's not to break us to the point of, of us uh, not having hope. No, it's to build us. It's to mature us. It's to press into us so that we press into him. So if you're exasperating, you're looking at this, this list and saying, man, I, I, I want to grow and you feel like just sulking in your chair, here's the good news. If you belong to Jesus, if you're seeking by faith to live a life in obedience uh, in the son of God, God cares more about your growth than you do and he's committed more to you growing than you are. Look to him. Third, We see in this passage that the fruit of the Spirit is holistic. And here's what I mean by holistic. Sometimes we want to take one element and say, well, I'm really good at this, but I'm not good at that. Um, And I want to actually encourage us not to do that. I actually want us to encourage not to be fixated with one thing, because honestly, you can't have one without the other. You you can't grow in love without being long-suffering. Like, I'm a loving person. I'm just not long-suffering. Think about that for a minute, (laughs) okay? And so don't become fixated with just one element. Rather, what Paul is trying to say here is fixate living in relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and trust that God is going to produce all of this in you. Fixate in falling in love with the one who saved you by grace while you were yet still a sinner. Set your minds, Colossians 3, on the things that are above and not the things that are on this earth. Set your mind on the one who came down 14 generations. Set your mind on the one who, though he was fully God, he humbled himself to the point of uh, being born, being an embryo, a a child in in, in Mary's womb. Set your mind on this this love that he had for you that allowed him to go up Golgotha's hill and to die the death that you deserve. Set your mind on the fact that he defeated death and, and rose with all victory in his hand on the third day. And he is on the right hand of the father interceding for you. Set your mind on this person. He's not an idea. He's not a philosophy. He is a human being who is also fully God, who is alive and doing well in heaven, interceding for you, committed to you. Develop a relationship with him. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. John 15, Jesus said, abide in me and let my words abide in you. Whatever you ask, it shall be given to you. And there he's talking about this fruit shall be developed in you. And those are the pretty much the three practical ways of walking in the spirit. One is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. You cannot produce fruit of the spirit without being born of the spirit. If you're not a Christian here, you're like, you know, I love this teaching, uh, minus the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, I do want to be a good person. So my takeaway from this is I'm just going to seek to be more loving, more patient, more kind, more peaceful. At the end of the day, you are still alienated from God and that's not what we're talking about. These, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is, is supernaturally produced. It only comes through the Holy Spirit. It only comes through having a relationship with Jesus. It only comes from you coming to an end of yourself, seeing that you can never save yourself and that apart from Christ, uh, there is no good within you. And God's invitation to you today is for you to repent and to trust Jesus, to develop not religion, but a relationship with him. The second, I wanna encourage you to explore your weaknesses and your tendencies. Part of the reason we often go back to acts of the flesh is because we haven't taken time to study ourselves. Like Satan, the Bible says, is a roaring lion. He's seeking who he can devour. And part of what Christ is inviting us to when he invites us to be our disciples is for us to slow down and to think, to slow down and to deal with all of our junk and our tendencies in light of his spirit, to slow down and to process our story as children and young adults and college students to slow down and think about why we do what we do and why we respond the way we respond and then to learn to apply the gospel to what God is revealing. So perhaps you run to acts of the flesh when you feel unloved and perhaps there's an over-desire for you to to be loved by a human being which is a good thing. It's a good desire to be in connection and be loved with a a human being. But when that becomes your ultimate desire, when it becomes you have to be loved by this particular person in this particular way, then that becomes an idol, an over-desire. And now we act out in our flesh in anger when we don't get the love we think that we deserve. And what the gospel invites us to is to find our identity and our love in Jesus Christ. Knowing if someone doesn't love me, if someone doesn't give me the attention I think that I deserve while I'm hurt. And as a Christian, it's my responsibility to go to them and to tell them at the end of the day, their love is not what's going to define me. What defines me is that I am loved by the Son of God. Amen. Can't say amen, say Ouch. But third, the way that we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit is is simply by taking grace and and the things that God has given us by grace more serious. One of the ways that God grows us is through the simple uh, disciplines, Christian disciplines like prayer. You want to grow in in Christ-likeness? Do what Christ did. Christ prayed. See, in the Gospel of Luke, he prayed early in the morning, made a sacrifice while everyone was still sleeping. The Bible said he often went to the wilderness to pray. He prayed late at night while the disciples were moving on with their day. He went to the mountain and he prayed. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, to live with the posture of continuous prayer. Second, it's by by getting in God's word. Want to look more like Jesus? Do what Jesus did. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. There's a whole lot there. But when Jesus was tempted by Satan, how did he respond? He responded by speaking the word of God to Satan. James says, resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus modeled what that resistance looked like. It looked like trusting in God and his word. And when we're tempted, leaning on God and what he's given us by grace, as opposed to our own wisdom or our feelings. So the psalmist says, Psalm 119, I have hidden thy word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. And some of us, we are spiritually uh, uh, malnourished. When Satan pokes us, what comes out of us isn't a word, but it's some other words. <laughs> and God's invitation to you is to study, to know the word, not as something to check off as a list of things that I did but for transformation. Read the Gospels to see the character of God. Read the Gospels to see how Jesus treated people who felt uh, as outcast and lonely. See yourself as the leper. See yourself as the blind man. See yourself as the woman with the issue of blood. See yourself as the one who is poor and spirit, and see your Savior as one who takes his time to minister to you, to affirm your dignity, your beauty, your personhood, and who has come to heal you, see his love for you. Sojourner's worship services are very, uh, every Sunday is very similar. And the reason it's very similar is our services kind of model after the, the patterns of the gospel. Um, and, and so what we do is on Sunday, we keep our worship services the same. And I, I promise you, it's not because we don't have creative people. like We got Johnny B and Rachel Ham, our worship leaders. They can do something different every week just about if they wanted to. But the reason we keep our worship services in the same order is because liturgy, Going through the discipline of the same worship service helps to reorder our affections and our desires and create new habits in us. It helps us to rethink our thinking. And every Sunday after the sermon, we do the same thing. What is that? What do we do? Come again? Take communion. communion. And we take communion to remind ourselves every Sunday of the gospel that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us so that we could have a freedom (laughs) so that we can be reminded that he has set us free and we're not a slave to sin or to this world, but we are sons and daughters of God, a part of a new kingdom and a new way of life. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says that he he took bread. He gave thanks. He blessed it, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourner, we take a piece of bread. We dip it in wine or juice The wine is marked by twine. Uh, Take whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, we're gonna ask you not to partake in this meal, but I want you to heed uh, Paul's warning in this passage that those who are not born of the Spirit are those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will eternally be separated at death from life with God. And my earnest desire is for you to live life how God intended you to live, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Placing your faith in him. And this uh, activity does not happen by you being good enough or performing good works. It happens by you coming to an end of yourself, saying, God, help me. Spirit, give me a new heart. And you placing your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God sent Jesus into the world and that he has died for your sins, then you shall be born again and we wanna invite you to do that. Those of you in the front, you can come to the front for communion. Those in the back, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.